Amen. Thank you, Willie. Good morning, church family. For those of you who are not from around here, happy Easter. And for the rest of you, happy Easter. He's alive. Amen. We worship a risen Savior. Grateful to be here with you this morning for us to gather together and celebrate the most significant event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for those who believe we gather to proclaim and to worship him, and I pray that this message, that the Lord through this message speaks to each one of us, but at the outset, I'm going to say that this message in particular is for those of you who don't really know what to do with Jesus. Don't know what to do with the resurrection. Don't know what to make of the whole thing. Maybe somebody invited you and you're here and it's tradition. Maybe you had a walk with God at one point. Maybe you never did. But this message is for you to consider who Jesus is. See, for a long time before I came to know Jesus as, as Lord and King, I knew the right things about Jesus. I suspect many of you here may know and have been told the right things about Jesus. But there's a difference between faith and trust. In this sense, faith is a noun. It's something you have. It's the beginning of the journey, but trust is a verb. It's active. It's participatory. And trusting in Jesus will change your life. I came to know who Jesus was back in 1994 or so. I, I knew the right things about him. I came to believe that God was real, that Jesus was who he claimed to be, but I still wanted to be king. I still wanted to be the Lord of my own life. And sin, really, all of sin is essentially going, no, I'm going to be God there. I mean, that's what it is. Everything else emanates from that decision. At the root of it is pride. And I'll tell you, and, and, I, and I preached in the first service, and a, and a few weeks ago I was preaching, and I said this, if you leave here the same way, it's not because of your past. Your past won't hinder you. Your pride will hinder you. See, trials tend to invite us to consider if we really know God. Right, because information alone is not comforting. And so when bad things happen, people tend to do one of two things. Either they run towards something that will give temporary relief, drugs, alcohol, a relationship, work, whatever it is, away from God, or they run into his arms and they feel his power and his presence. John Ortberg, a teaching pastor, once said this, if you ask people who don't believe in God, the number one reason they don't believe in God, they'll say suffering. And if you ask people who believe in God when they felt his presence the most and when their faith grew, they'll say suffering. I remember asking my dad, who was an atheist when I was a kid, if he didn't believe in God, why he sent me to a private Catholic school for nine years. <laughs> Made no sense to me, right? And my experience, not everybody's experience, but my experience as, as a kid was that God was sort of this angry old man that just tried to catch you messing up so he could scold you. I mean, that, that, that's what it was to me. And, and a lot of us, that maybe has been our experience, that God is just up there waiting for us to mess up so we can feel really bad about ourselves. There's a song 
by a band called Death Cab for Cutie. I, I can pretty much guarantee you that. I don't know how many uh, Easter ser- sermons you've ever heard in your life. I'll probably be the only pastor who's ever going to quote Death Cab for Cutie in the Easter service. Fairly bleak, but listen, it's a, listen to the lyrics. It says, Catholic school, as vicious as Roman rule, I got my knuckles bruised by a lady in black. I held my tongue as she told me, son, Fear is the heart of love, and so I never went back. See, for some of us, the message we got from God is that fear is the heart of love. And for many people, that's been their experience with God, and they've walked away. It was my experience. It was my father's experience, and so he never went back. And yet, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. In 1 John 4.18, it says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows we have not fully experienced his perfect love. I don't know all of you. I don't know why you're here. I don't know if you have a walk with God. Maybe at one point you did. Maybe you never did. Maybe you're here at somebody's invitation. Maybe you're here because it's tradition. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody who professed to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been hurt by a church. I pray that you allow the Lord through this message to speak to you, to heal you, to meet you. And so, Father, would you do what I can't do? Would you have your way in this place? Would you minister to hearts and minds and spirits? Would you give us and open, open hearts, God, eyes to see and ears to hear, spirits to receive your truth, God, that none of us leave here the same way we came in, that we walk in the freedom and the forgiveness that the resurrection provides. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, when I asked my father why he sent me to that school, he said, well, I thought it would be good for you. And I thought about it, and I said, well, Dad... It's either true, and it's good for everybody, or it's not true, and it's not good for anybody. See, a lot of times if you ask people about Christianity, they'll they'll say they don't believe because either they don't think it's true, or they think it's true, but they don't think it's good for them. Or maybe they think it's true, and it might be good for them, but they don't think it's good for everybody. But I submit to you, Christianity is not only true, And it's not only good for you, but it is good for every single human being that's ever lived. Every single human being that will ever live. That we worship God as he is, not as we create him. Not as others have badly betrayed him, portrayed him. God is good and Jesus Christ is alive. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he sent his son to die in our place. That Jesus took our punishment and he defeated sin and death. So those who identify with him in death, which means to accept through faith the truth of who he is and what he has done, that we participate in the resurrection life. Partially now, free from being a slave to sin and fully and forever with him in eternity. That's the power of Easter. It's a message for all of us. It's a message I didn't believe for almost half my life. I was an atheist for almost half my life, and now I'm a pastor. See, there's a saying around here that we've become very fond of, two words, but God. So wherever you were in your journey, whatever you are in your past, 
There should be an interruption. Allow for an interruption, but God. My dad accepted Christ, was baptized. He was 51 years old. Five years later, he died of cancer. Wasn't what he wanted, but he had a faith. He had an active trust and faith in Jesus. And he was able to walk with him and know that his suffering would be over. Know that he felt the peace and power that can only come from Christ. See, for the better part of 20 years in my life, I would make choices that I thought would fulfill me. That would provide temporary relief. I used to say, there is no God. The purpose of life is to increase pleasure and minimize pain. It made sense to me, except internally. Before everything around me fell apart, internally, it didn't ring true. Internally, I just knew as I knew that there was, there was something I longed for, nothing in this world. C.S. Lewis, for all his brilliant theological insight, to him the most compelling argument for God's existence is our appetite for him. Our desire to be unconditionally loved by the God who created us. So my marriage was hanging on by a thread. I was lost in addiction. I didn't understand why no matter how much money I made, no matter how good my job was, no matter what kind of friends I had, no matter what chemical I put in my body, I was more and more restless and more and more alone. And then I, and I was preaching not long ago and I was trying to share my testimony and I said this, and I'd like to think I'm fairly bright. My wife's downstairs, so nobody will argue that point right now. But (laughs) thank you, Jamie. (laughs) but I was preaching I was sharing this and then this came out and I knew this was like a Holy Spirit thing because as I said it like I have this dialogue in my head at the same time you know and as I said I said oh that's good man and this is what I said right because I got to the end I was at the end of my life I ended up in, in in a rehab in Brockton that's my journey that's the end I'm 33 years old I had had a good upbringing good family everything's good and now I'm in a rehab in Brockton I'm like I'm done This is it. This is the end of my story. And then I said this. We don't surrender to be done. We surrender to begin. See, everyone in this room has to get to the end of themselves. Everyone. It doesn't matter if your life's falling apart in some way or another way. It doesn't matter if it's just kind of on autopilot. Every one of us has to say, you know what, Lord, I'm done. Like the old saying, Jesus, take the wheel. I was like, Jesus, take the car. Jesus, put me in the trunk. I, I shouldn't have anywhere near the controls. <laughs> if you need me, you can take me out of the trunk, but we don't surrender to be done. We surrender to begin. Do you understand that? Sometimes what seems like the end is the greatest beginning. And God makes beauty from our ashes. It begins with saying, Lord, have your way with me. Great preacher Jonathan Edwards started and had these famous resolutions in his life. And the first one was, resolution one, I will live for God. And resolution two, if nobody else does, I still will. I'm a follower of Jesus today because he captured my heart. Because he captured my heart and he set me free from everything I thought I'd never be set free from. I've seen his power. I've seen grace and mercy. I've seen miracles. And here's the thing. I hope that that encourages you. I hope that some part of my testimony is relatable. But more more than that, I hope, like King David says, that you taste and see that the Lord is good. 
That's an invitation for you to experience what many of us have experienced. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I had a friend once and said, give God a try. The devil will always take you back. Right? Every time I share the word, I think of Luke 8, 39. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming through the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what Jesus has done for me. I want to talk about what he can do for you. And I want to begin this morning by reading Matthew's account of Jesus' death. Sam read it last night at our Good Friday service. It's found in Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to begin in verse 45. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with vinegar and he put it on a staff and he offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Verse 54 says, When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Surely he was the Son of God. My prayer is that each of us leave here saying that. And the title of the message this morning is what the resurrection means to all of us. Not just to me, not just to Christians, but to every single human being ever born. There's a hip-hop artist who said this, at the cross we see human evil and divine righteousness. We see human responsibility and divine sovereignty. We see human hatred and divine love. See, the cross is God's answer to the evil in this world. The cross is the answer to every prayer you've ever prayed. Jesus died that we may live. He said that John said, and Jesus said, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief came to steal and kill and destroy. And some of us, man, you look around and that's what just seems like it's happening, right? Just death and destruction, evil. And Jesus said, but, but I come that they may have a life and have it to the full, that they may experience what it means to have abundant life. First Peter 2.24 said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and some people rejected him. Others thought maybe he was a good teacher or a prophet, and yet others believed Jesus was who he claimed to be. They had an encounter that left them forever changed. I invite you to have an encounter with Jesus that will leave you forever changed. C.S. Lewis was an Oxford and Cambridge professor, no slouch, 
good friends with J.R.R. Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien was one of the people who led Lewis to Christ. Lewis became a Christian in his 40s. He was a literary critic, bright guy. And he said this about Christianity. He said, Christianity of false is of no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If it's not true, if the resurrection didn't take place, throw the whole thing out. We're going to look at what Paul says. And Lewis says, if it is true, it's infinitely important. It has implications for all of us. The only thing it can't be is, eh, I don't know. Don't leave here with that misconception that it doesn't matter because it does. And I would hope that each of us see the accuracy of this statement. If Good Friday had been the end of it, then Jesus is still in the grave. And we're without hope. I was watching a, a uh, um, roundtable discussion, and it was people from different faiths. And there was a girl, and she looked at a pastor, and she said, you know, the one thing I envy that you Christians have that I don't is forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Because, see, every single person in this room we know that there's something just not quite right. In the, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, you see right away the effect of sin is shame and guilt and hiding. In a, in a, in a sense, you know, there's a disconnection from God. That's, the first, that's what most people think about. You, you sin and there's a disconnection from God. But there was an identity crisis. There was a profound sense of there is something wrong with me. And Jesus wants to make everything right with every one of us. The message of Easter is the power of the resurrection in and through us. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God's dwelling place is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he is, and he does, and he will every single day. And so today, billions of people all over the world will gather to celebrate Easter. The holiest of holidays because it's a celebration and remembrance of the day that the Son of God paid the price for the sins of mankind, that he rose from the dead, and that we can say, surely, he was the Son of God. The single most important event in all of human history the tearing, the tearing of the curtain in the temple changed things. The scriptures tell us in John 19.30 that at the precise moment that Jesus cried out his final words on the cross, he said, it is finished. That through Christ we can have access to God. That we can be forgiven. That we can have a relationship restored with our Heavenly Father. And yet some of us, many of us, even in the church... Don't walk in that intimate relationship. 
we walk and we live as though Jesus is still dead in the tomb. But he's alive. Matthew 28 says, After the Sabbath at dawn and the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and was going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the gods were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Two interesting things to note here is the first is that women were not even allowed at this time to testify in court. Their testimony was not valid. So if this was a myth and made up, the last thing you would do in that story is have two women testify to the risen Jesus. The other thing to note is that those two women (laughs) were the first one to preach the gospel that Jesus is alive. See, I love that Paul talks about the resurrection as the cornerstone of our faith, as an essential. 1 Corinthians 15, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, and which you also received, and which you now stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he goes on to talk about his appearances. And then Paul says this, because if we think, well, you know, Jesus, he was a good example. You know, Jesus, he, w- he was a good teacher. I mean, he, he might have said some good things. Paul here really removes that option from us. In verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. In fact, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified that God has raised Christ. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sin. Paul's going, look, if this resurrection, if this didn't really happen, if this didn't prove that Jesus was who he claimed to be, then he says in another place, you are of all people to be most pitied. People should feel bad for us because we're still in our sin and we have no hope. That's the reality. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying Jesus was a good teacher. Paul's saying if the resurrection didn't take place, throw the whole thing out. Burn every Bible because it's false and because everybody who teaches it is a false teacher. But Jesus has been raised. Jesus is alive today. And we need to live as though he's alive. 
I've often thought about what it must have been like for those disciples after Jesus died. And I think somehow we can relate because I think sometimes we, we give our lives, we, you, you know, we come to belief in God, and now we think sort of everything's going to work out. And the disciples, you know, when they were with Jesus, they're like, okay, you know, th- this guy's going to come. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the king. We're, we're maybe going to get a, a special place in heaven. We're going to align ourselves with him. And then all of a sudden, he gets put on a cross and crucified. This is not what we signed up for. What happens to our faith when things don't look the way we think? It's supposed to look when God doesn't seem to be doing what we want him to do. We don't really know a lot, but John 20, 19 gives us a pretty good idea of where they were. They were hiding. They were in fear of their lives. They were confused and discouraged and afraid. They were filled with uncertainty and anxiety. And I suspect many of us in this room, particularly now in the world, can feel that way. Where is God? I'm confused. I'm afraid. I'm discouraged. And so I want to point out two things Jesus does. Two things he provides for them and provides for us as well. John 20, 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. See, there's two things they needed right then, and there's two things we need right now. And the first was peace. In the midst of our anxiety and our doubt and our fear, Jesus stands and he says, peace be with you. And the other thing that's interesting to know, and we can miss it, is that he showed them his hands and his side because they needed proof. Proof that Jesus provided. Funny thing to add to a story if it were only a myth. And verse 21 says, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them, Again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you now. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. See, an encounter with Jesus, his presence in our lives, provides us with peace that comes not from our circumstances, but from within. Provides us proof, increasing proof that he is who he claimed to be. And then empowers us to boldly go forward, despite ourselves, and proclaim that truth to others. I am the least likely person to be standing here before you. I shouldn't even be alive, but God. And I'm not special, but he is. In fact, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, the thing I like about you, Pastor Brian, is you're so ordinary. I'm like, thank you. And they're like, yeah, there's nothing special about you at all. I'm like, I get it. I I get it. I appreciate it. Okay. (laughs) You're just like everything. (laughs) Peace, proof, power. Power to share the good news. And the disciples didn't have to hide anymore. And neither do we. Because the bodily resurrection of Jesus and the filling of the Spirit changes everything. And the disciples were able to see and hear and touch a Jesus who is resurrected and very much alive. And so even if we're afraid, we can have peace, peace with Jesus. 
And we can rest assured that the only power that can change the human heart is Jesus Christ. And then faith replaces fear. And then those same disciples who are hiding would go on to be martyred for their faith. All but John died a gruesome death, proclaiming until their very last breath, this Jesus Christ who died for our sins to set us free. We need to stop living as Jesus were dead. We need to stop hiding our faith behind locked doors, fearful of a world that both hates Jesus and desperately needs him. We need to not fear the persecution and rejection for talking about him in our homes and neighborhoods and classrooms and workplaces. Those are the thoughts and actions of people who follow a dead Jesus, but our Jesus is alive and on mission. Come on. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And this is why we gather here week after week. To come together to worship, to learn, to pray, to grow, and then to go and tell the world the hope we have in Christ. I was telling the team, I think we need signs as you exit, and I think that needs to say you're about to go to church, because this isn't church. This is preparation for church. This is equipping for church, and church is what we do when we walk out those doors. And I think we need that reminder that church isn't a place we come to, it's a people we are. And here's a beautiful description of the church when it's doing what it should. Acts 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It means the word of God was central. Truth wasn't subjective. It was based on his word revealed to us. To fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that means real community. It means real relationship. It doesn't mean how you doing, I'm okay, when you're falling apart. It means how you doing, you know, struggling, man. Could use some help, pray with me, walk with me. Here's what's going on. Real community. People around you. If, you, if your life's a mess, join us. We're all a mess, but you know we're a beautiful mess together in Jesus. To prayer. See, we need to be a praying church. Prayer is, invites the power of God. We can do a lot of things without him, but prayer invites what only he can do. And here's what happens when we live out the power of the resurrection. When as a church, we live out the power of Easter. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the signs and wonders performed by the apostles. The believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. And every single day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I invite you to join us as we live out and apply these principles that we would no longer live as though Jesus is still in the tomb, but that we would live like he's alive that we would allow not our past, but the peace, the presence, and the power of Jesus to change everything. Amen.